church family. This is Jared Harmson, your local fun guy on the streets, asking fellow church members one very important question. Life is more fun with... Money. Football season. Life is more fun with... Noel. Life is more fun with grandchildren. Music. Woo! Woo. <laughs> Drums. Life is more fun with me. Life is more fun with me. Jesus. Jesus in it. Jesus. Friends and family at the water's edge and Jesus at the center of it all. I just love watching those. It's so fun, except for seeing myself up there. That's embarrassing. Um, I am Jason, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, um, I'm one of the pastors here at the Water's Edge. And um, so uh, as with Jimmy and the rest of the band, um, we couldn't afford time and a half for the real pastors, so they called me up on uh, Labor Day Sunday. Um, I am typically serving the kids' ministry and uh, from birth to fifth, and we are having family worship today, as you might have heard, um, and that is far beyond um, giving our volunteers a break, although that's important. Um, it is also continuing to reclaim the value of families worshiping together. We don't always do that, but it is so important for us to have those opportunities to, to let our Pursuing God be something that we all do as, as families and, and friends and in relationship. So um, for those of you who may not know, so um, I've been here for about a year and moved from uh, Lincoln where I was pastoring. And I brought my uh, beautiful wife, Sarah, with us. And uh, we brought two kids, Samuel's six and Lizzie's four, with us and have recently had uh, a son, Harvey. He's about two and a half months old and he is daily getting a little less crabby. <laughs> so it's it's a joy to uh, to be here and to uh, to grow with the water's edge and uh, to see this and uh, the last time I was preaching up here was actually the Sunday after vacation Bible school because I thought that would be a really fun challenge. Um, Harvey was born June fifteenth, then vacation Bible school twenty sixth to 29th, and then I preached and then I nearly dropped dead for about four or five weeks and took care of my family, but. Uh, a lot's happened, and a lot is going on right now. I rushed back in right as back to school started, and really excited to have uh, beginning the season, the second season here at the Water's Edge. Um, <clears throat> so we've been working our way through this uh, really cool series, fun month. We did this last year. We loved it, so we figured we would have fun again this month. We started out with celebration, moved into remembering to play, and then to laugh. And really, this is built on this whole notion that God um, created the world. God created you at the very, at the very core of who we are, His beloved. He has made us and intended for us to enjoy the life that He's given us, to celebrate, to laugh, to play, and to experience this. And so we feel like it's appropriate to be able to uh, remind us of this um, at least once a year. So after this Sunday, though, we are done with fun, and we'll resume our typical normal Sundays, and we won't have fun again until next fall. Uh, just kidding. Hopefully, this is, uh, there's going to be some, some uh, carryover into your life and has changed some of your rhythms and your, your practices. But our final Sunday, the big reveal, our final focus of the fun month is 
rest. And I'm like, really? Rest? They gave me the really fun one. <laughs> right? Like, like, the definition of rest goes all the way back to this Hebrew word, um, and it's Shabbat. Okay? And it literally means, at the root of what we're doing here, to cease, desist, or interrupt. That's fun, right? You can have a party, a, a desist party. <laughs> like, um, I'm guessing that uh, when Leander and Craig were cooking up, like, the titles for the different weeks, that they were like, oh, we just ran out of fun things. Let's just do rest, right? Or Pastor Leander was like, I'm eight weeks pregnant. Like, honestly, the most fun thing I could think of doing right now is resting, um, but anyhow, I kind of feel like um, convincing you that rest is good for you is like trying to convince my kids that eggplant is delicious. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. I do want to make a, a little bit of a disclaimer, though. Um, I'm probably the least qualified to actually give this message today. Um, rest has actually been uh, made illegal at our house. Like, my kids, like, like rest is the, the only thing they will not do. Um, we can get them to eat eggplant, but to rest, forget it. <laughs> um, additionally, I'm like one of those um, work first really hard and then play second really hard. Um, but I'm also one of those guys who work so hard and just kind of squeeze one more thing into that time frame that I never get to the play hard thing. It drives my, nut, my, my wife crazy. Um, so I'm not really good at resting. Uh, one of my favorite things to do at home is to time myself on how fast I can empty the dishwasher. Like daily. I set the stopwatch and I'm like, all right, how can we do this just a little bit faster today and get more done this morning before we head off to school with kids? Um, another thing that uh, lets you know that uh, I might struggle with rest a little bit is that... Um, when uh, people say, you know, five minutes early is on time, like five minutes early to a meeting for me is time mismanagement. Do you know how much work you can get done in five minutes instead of, you know, sitting and talking and waiting for the meeting to start? Um, in fact, like when people, you know, I'm just getting to meet people still, when people say, hey, you know, what are your hobbies, interests, what do you like to do outside of work? Um, I, I think this inside, but I never say it because I actually want to try and find friends. But, like, my natural answer would be, oh, I like to work hard. <laughs> but it, it's really hard to get friends when you're like, hey, want to come over and work hard? You bring your project, I'll bring my project. And then after Dumbledore, that was awesome, see you later. So I make up other interests. Um, but that's, you know, at the end, like, that's what I like to do. I feel best when I'm working hard. Um, I, when I, uh, you know, family gatherings or things like that, like, as soon as the meal's over, I'm that first guy that starts, like, getting up and clearing the plates. And um, it, it makes sense when it's at my house because it just seems like I'm being a good host. But if you invited me over to your house, I'd still clear your plates because I just can't stand sitting around. I need something to do. So I'm not, uh, I, I struggle with um, resting, but on the flip side of that, it's also um, a pretty big passion of mine to, to figure out how to honor rest because uh, we all have seen the dark side of, of, learning, of not learning to rest. And so that's become important in my life. Um, the bottom line here is that when we get rest right, when we actually learn to trust it, and develop a rhythm in our lives, it will bring a greater joy into our lives that we will find 
from no other practice that God has given us. In fact, I love this quote. So I read a book a couple years ago. Someone who's trying to give me an intervention bought me this book. It's called Soul Rest. And uh, Curtis Zachariah, he, he says in the kind of the intro, he says, one of the most significant indicators of whether we've begun to give ourselves over to the understanding of God's design for rest is if we are displaying the fruits of joy in our lives. So believe it or not, learning to rest is the practice of bringing greater joy into our lives. Now, I want to start out with just some simple terms of the beauty of rest here. So when I was early at the, the church that I served in Lincoln um, at Horizons, there was a group of guys who found out that when I was in seminary, I liked to climb mountains. Um, I skipped classes. I mean, um, I didn't have any class work on Fridays, and so I was in the mountains climbing 14ers, and 14ers are simply mountains that range over 14,000 feet in elevation. There are 56 of them, and uh, so that was kind of a pursuit in seminary, and these guys have said, hey, would you lead us on a, on a mountain climb? We want to do this with you. We heard you're really, you know, good. Um, whether that's true or not, I said sure, um, and we chose Long's Peak. This is not a beginner's mountain, okay? Uh, but we get in the car, we are just like, I told him you got to get nutrition, so we like ate all the way in the car, and then we get to uh, Estes Park, and we eat like elk burgers that night, and then we woke up at midnight, and we are on the trail about 1 a.m. You got to climb early so you don't get stuck in the lightning storms that usually happen early afternoon. And so we're, climbing, we're, we're at the base, and we're about ready to go. And as a good guide would, I said, all right, <clears throat> before we start, everyone, let's, let's uh, head to the restrooms, and let's just uh, take care of ourselves before we get on the mountain. Now, I assumed that these guys with me were just super jazzed and wanted to get going. And so two of them were like, ah, we don't need, you know, we're all ready to go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So we get up the mountain, and uh, Long's Peak is 14 miles, round trip, seven miles each way. It's a pretty serious mountain. Um, it's, you, you got through several different elements. You go around the back, and then you come around the front, and then narrows like the, um, the, there's a rating on there that's like a three plus that if you were to fall off the narrows, you would probably die. So it's, it's kind of a big mountain. Uh, so we're getting around to the front, and uh, we're at the final stretch. It's the final ascent, and um, the one guy who I thought was surely not going to make it, just didn't have it in him to make it, was like, yeah, let's do this. And the other two, one was a former Husker player, and the other one was built about the same, um, were like doubled over, and they're like, oh, just don't feel good and can't make it. We're just going to wait here. You guys just go. And I just, at that point, I just thought, you know, elevation, altitude sickness, like fatigue, it's a hard mountain. I get it. They look fine. So we go on. So we're making the final ascent, and I'm about halfway up, and I'm watching the guy that I'm with and making sure he's going up. And all of a sudden, I hear this from below. Hey, you from Nebraska? When I looked around, and my first response was like, go big red. <laughs> Um, it turns out it was a ranger, and uh, he was not interested in whether I was Nebraska for the, from Nebraska from the football team. And he starts telling me, as we're both trying to make it up, and he says, listen, are you the one that brought those other guys with you from Nebraska? And I was like, yeah, isn't that awesome, you know, like, cool, introducing him to the mountain. And he's like, you have absolutely no business being on this mountain with these guys. 
it's their first time. They have no idea what they're doing. And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's kind of funny, right? You know, like still thinking that we're talking things. And, and he says, well, let me give you one lesson that you need to make sure that you teach your friend. And he said, it's, it's called the shot put. Now, we're in church. He used a different word for shot, and it might have had an I in the middle instead of an O. Okay? Um, but at any rate, he's, he, then he proceeded to tell me, I, I just swore I thought he was continuing to be funny. But he said, you know, like, if you have to on the mountain, then you find a flat rock. You do, and then you take that rock and you shot put it over the cliff. Make sure no one's down below. And I, by that time, I, like, I was like, yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. I'm so sorry. So um, he was not happy. We get up to the mountain. We get back down to where those guys were. And it turns out that two of them um, don't really like mountain outhouses and thought that they could hold it the entire 14-mile, 16-hour trip up a mountain back. <laughs> of course, it didn't work out. And so um, our friend, who will remain lame, nameless, um, right in the middle of the trail. And <laughs> the ranger caught him and got really mad. So you're wondering... Where are we going with this? <laughs> you should be. <laughs> There's a lesson in here because um, what it turns out is that self-care, or excuse me, rest, actually has a lot to do with the practice of self-care. And remembering that when we, we have to take a moment to rest, we have to take a moment to do these necessary things if we are going to achieve the important things. And you see this, that self-care or, or stopping to do, these, to do these things to develop this rest is what actually allows us to be successful in the other areas of our lives. But as you can see with the example of the mountain story and other situations in our life, we don't like rest. We don't like it very well. It seems very distasteful. In fact, just as distasteful as an outhouse at the side of mountain that a lot of people have used. Rest is like, I mean, we're trying to convince you it's fun, but often in our society, it is anti-fun. It's the downer of our play and our enjoyment and our moving forward to succeed in our goals. Oftentimes, it, um, it, it, it will seem very um, unnecessary. Like when we are in a good motion, when we're in a good um, place in our lives, we're feeling fresh, we're feeling like we're succeeding in what we're doing and working hard and we can just see the finish line over there, if we can just get it done, it doesn't, we don't need to rest. We're fine. We're good. We only realize it until it's much too late. It feels limiting on, uh, on what we can accomplish. Like if we didn't have to sleep six hours a night, can you imagine what we could get done in this world? Whew, I can. Um, you know, it, it's also, uh, the thing about it is it's disruptive. When we're doing something, we're moving forward in something, we don't like an imposing force saying you have to stop and do this instead. It's like being jerked in a completely opposite direction. Furthermore, when it comes to work or when it comes to rush, because a lot of us like to just rush, we, we don't, we're not really doing anything, we're just rushing from here to there and um, people need us, it, it becomes really important, this work or this rush. We have been taught and we continue to teach each other that if you work hard in this country, 
if you work hard, even if you are not talented, even if you start with no resources, if you work hard, you can advance and you will advance over others. We also look at work and we think, well, uh, a lot of us actually find a lot of identity in the work that we do. Uh, you know, there's the, there's the all-hailed soccer mom. A lot of you out there, we give you props for the lives that you manage and the, the ways that you can uh, make all that work in one day. Um, but in addition to soccer moms, there's just rush people actually kind of gather around and we get together and we talk about how we are rushing so much and none of us like it, but we all kind of identify with it as like we finally arrived at the rush life. That's what we do. It's who we are. A lot of us get value out of our work. A lot of us will um, look at what we do and accomplish as a way to determine the value of our lives and our relationships with others. Uh, a lot of us will actually use rush and work as a distraction, as something to distance us from perhaps the pain in our lives or sorrow or disappointments we've experienced. We figure that if we keep focused over here or keep far enough ahead of it, we will never have to deal with those pains, with those sorrows that are lingering in the past or nibbling away at the insides of our hearts. So we work and we rush, and it, it feels good. It works. The only problem is there's often a dark side. There's a dark side to rush and work without rest, without a rhythm, without a practice. I've experienced that. Perhaps you have too. I'm guessing that some of you have. When you realize it's too late and you're just simply depleted, or you have lost your joy for living, Perhaps you've grown resentful towards the people that you're serving, those with whom you're living, or even dis, uh, re resentful against organizations or, or people in general. The dark side is that uh, it can lead to burnout and a separation from the things that you love and the things that you're actually good at. I've experienced this. I'm guessing that some of you have as well. But the unwavering truth that remains is that rest is essential. God intended it. And I would go so far as to say that God, God mandates that we find rest in our lives. We see this all the way through the scripture, don't we? Think about creation. Every single day that God created something, he set out, he knew what he was going to do, and he did it. And then at the end of the day, he stopped. And God was able to look out and say, this is good, and now I'm done. God didn't work through the night until the early morning and then switch gears. He stopped, came back the next morning and said, now this week or this morning, today, this is what I'm going to do. And he stopped again. And at the end of six days of creation, of creating everything in the universe, God didn't use that final day to like kind of touch up here and tweak this and that to make it absolutely perfect. God looked at it, knew the oncoming turmoil that his human creation would cause, and yet was able to look at the world around him that he had created and to say, this is good, and it is enough, and now it is time to rest. 
all the way through the scripture, then we find that Moses goes on top of a mountain and takes the top ten big things that God really wanted his early people to figure out. And right smack dab in the middle there was obey the Sabbath. Keep it. Follow it. It kind of gives you the idea that God wasn't like, oh, it could be a good thing. God's like, it has to be. It's the top, one of the top ten. You got to do this. Then we get into the Psalms and we follow David. And David exudes this rhythm of rest. We read Psalm 23. You ever kind of thought about that? God's our shepherd and he leads us by still waters and into the pasture. It's not simply so that we can get food and water. It is so that we will rest and be replenished and sense his leading us into that and the richness of it and the blessing that comes forth from it. Even the psalmists, as they wrote the psalms, implemented these little breaks, and it's called salah. And you'll be reading the psalms, and some of your translations will still have that in there because they knew that God's word would be truer and come across more purely if we could learn to take a break, to to breathe, to rest before we went on to the next salah, to breathe, to pause. Jesus comes along and practices a regular practice of going off into the mountains to pray, to rest, to be with his Father. Even in his gospel of inviting all who are weary and weak to come to him and to seek rest because his yoke light and his burden was light and that we were invited to learn his rhythms of rest as a part of our heavy sins, as a part of uh, everything that we're carrying Jesus inviting us in the very gospel to come to him, to accept him into our hearts, and to let him take off the heavy burden and to let us rest. It's at the center of the gospel. In the crucifixion, Jesus is laid in a tomb, and the whole earth lays in a sense of rest and ceasing and desisting for three days until Jesus proclaimed victory over it, even in heaven There is a space of rest where we are free from everything as revelations would teach us and fully connecting with God. It is all over there. One of my favorite examples comes from Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, if you recall, uh, was a leader called during the exile. The Israelites were kicked out of their home and spread out to uh, different kingdoms. And um, after a period of time, about 70 years, Nehemiah was called to return to Jerusalem and lead the remaining Jews to come back and rebuild the wall. Now, the wall of Jerusalem was essential to the identity of God's holy and sacred place. Without a wall, there was no definition that God was in this place. That was a very specifically cultural thing. So Nehemiah is called to to rebuild the wall, and he calls people around, and they work against the opposition. Every step of the way, there's opposition, and they finally build it. They finally complete the project. It's a huge project, and I love this. Then Nehemiah calls the people together, and for the first time in over 70 years, because they first were disinterested and then second could not, they they read the law together. They read the law together, and it was this beautiful thing because it reminded people who they were, but by the end, they began to weep and mourn because they were hearing about what God was inviting his people into, and they were juxtaposing it to the lives that they had lived and the ways that they were no longer following God's commands, and they began to, to weep and 
like I would have if I was there in that reading party. Um, I would have been like, all right, people, let's form groups of 10, 15. Let's get to work. Let's start earning God's favor again by catching up on all these things that we have let slide. And Nehemiah instead, with God's wisdom, says these words in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. I love this. He says, listen, go and celebrate instead with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks. Share the gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. Because this is a sacred day. In fact, this is a holy day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of your Lord is your strength. Now, I know we're getting notes of celebration and playing and laughter, but the point is when the moment where people most wanted to dive in and start working even more, even though they had just built the wall, they wanted to dive in and reclaim their right standing with God through their further work. Nehemiah, through God's wisdom, says, just stop. Rest. The most important thing you can do is not continue to work, but instead to sit and glory in your Lord. There you will find joy, and in that joy you will find a greater strength than you will find in anything that you work to accomplish to gain favor in your God's eyes, to sit and to rest. You see, the full definition of what I would say that as we understand the Sabbath today, the uh, meaning of rest is simply to create space. To create space. And it, does, and it means to simply maybe to stop something or to let things go, but to create space for God to be present. So this is what God reveals through rest when we choose rest and the reason why we should consider or why God is inviting us to consider rest as an important part of our lives and a part of, of our rhythms. The first thing that we know is that when we choose rest, we see God's love for us. You see, God cares for you. He doesn't want you burned out. He doesn't want you to have a depleted and joyless heart. He wants you to have the exact opposite of that. He loves you and desires to care through you through this rest that he has created for you. The second thing that's revealed through rest is that God blesses you. God has created an entire world of beauty, of enjoyment, meant to be partaken of in rest. Meant to be enjoyed and in awe of through rest. The third thing that we see is that through rest, God provides. If you're like me, anytime there's been an invitation to rest or someone has asked you just to stop for a moment, you will often say, but who's going to do the work? How am I going to get all of this done? My job doesn't make room for rest. I've said all those things. I've heard all those things. But God provides, and it is an invitation for us to dive into a deeper relationship of trust with God. 
believing and having faith that he will cover the necessary gaps left by us in our choosing to rest instead of continue. I love this quote by Marva Dawn in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy. There's a play on words there, holy. And she says, a great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us. Not by becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. Rest comes when we let God be God. And we let ourselves be God's beloved through rest. The fourth thing that we see is revealed through rest in our choices is that God wants you to love you. God wants you to love you. Back to the mountain story, this is self-care. This is self-love to say, I'm, I love myself enough to give myself rest. I love myself enough to let my heart plenish. I love myself enough to not let myself go down a spiral of depletion. Parker Palmer, one of our spiritual growth uh, kind of gurus, writes in this book called uh, Let Your Life Speak. He says, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift that I have, the gift that I was put on earth to offer others. If we are not whole, how will we have anything substantive to offer to others? The fifth thing that God reveals as we choose rest is that God wants you to see you. God sees you apart. God sees you apart from anything that you have done or will do. He saw you when you were in your mother's womb. He saw you when you were a helpless baby and had high needs and no contributions to the family. <laughs> we're dealing with that. I'm sorry, that's near and dear. He sees you. He has saw you always. And he loves you and cherishes you to the extent of God's capacity apart from anything that you do or accomplish. God wants you to see you the same way he does. And it is through rest that that is accomplished. Number six, God wants you to know enough. When God was creating the world, when God was fashioning his plan, when God was bringing Jesus into the world, he knew what enough looked like. And he knew what good was. This is, this is the only true perfectionist in the world. The one who is actually capable of accomplishing perfectionists could look at the world, could look at all of us and say, this is good. It is enough. Inviting us into, to actually know enough that we can say, this is good enough. Not as a slough off to say, well, I don't know, it could be good better, but it, you know, could, it's good enough, but actually to say, this is good, this is enough, and to know when that is true, and to accept it. Number seven, and this is a really hard one, but God has given us rest because God wants us to grieve, and you probably wish this one wasn't on there. But there are hurts in each of our lives. There are sorrows, disappointments, 
things that are nibbling away at our, at our hearts. And we often use rush and work to keep ourselves at distance from those things. But God wants us instead to work with those, to sit with those that we might actually receive his support and to move beyond it. Just like Alanis Morissette, most of you probably don't know who she is. She's a classic artist, I understand. Uh, I'm a year older now, so I'm dating myself. But she sings a song, The Only Way Out Is Through. Richard Rohr, uh, a father who is practicing on spiritual health, says that darkness, mistakes, and trials are the supreme teachers. Those are the things that teach us. Success really teaches you nothing. It just feels good. I heard a quote that said, listen, if you succeed without ever experiencing failure along the way, that's just dumb luck. So as to say that we actually succeed truly when we experience failures along the way, learn from them, and grow from them. You think about the valley and the mountain. We all want to be on the mountaintop and have that experience, but if you've ever been on top of a mountain, here's a little secret. Things don't grow on top of the mountain. You might find a marmot that's confused and looking for handouts from hikers. Things grow in the valley. And sometimes we do have to walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, but that's where the growth happens. That's where the resources pool. That's where we will be cared for. We have to learn to grieve as part of rest. The final thing that I want to uh, impress this morning is that God has created rest so that we might learn to know God, that we might learn to love Him. It is impossible to have a loving relationship with anyone, with our God, if we spend very little time with a person or with our God. Deep relationships require time, and so God has created this space that we might stop everything else and welcome his presence into our lives, connect with him deeply, hear from him, be healed by him, be given new energy and new hope and new vision. And it happens through rest. So what we know about rest and developing a rhythm of rest is it's not an overnight thing. It's not going to happen in the next month. It probably will take a good year of focus and practice of doing these things. First, of reordering your priorities. It's a kind of an old saying or a a timeless saying that if you want to know where your true priorities are, look at your calendar and your bank statements. Because that's where we know and we see where our time and our resources are going towards. But we're invited, as God invites us into rest, to reevaluate those priorities and let our priority of, of going to God and creating that space to be at the top again. And then once our priorities are there and we're clear and our family's kind of wrapping around us, we then go and we choose and we look at what's on our slate and we choose to say that this no longer belongs and it will kill all of us, uh, for expression of figure of speech there, and to choose the ones that we will continue with, to choose. And finally then, once we have chosen, once you have chosen, to begin to create, to clear away that space, 
what days will be holy to you? What, what hours, what times of the day, what rhythms will you have that will allow you to continually find rest and find space for your God who loves you to fit into that, to create that? It's hard work, but it's worthy work. Today, we want to start with this simple thing. Our creative team here thought of this, and um, I'm the perfect person to help enforce this today because um, I'm not very good at keeping um, track of sports schedules. Um, and someone, well, several, uh, a handful, or maybe even an onslaught of people reminded me that there's a uh, volleyball game at 4 p.m. today. But um, we are inviting you into a digital detox from 3 to 6 today. <laughs> so um, th th there may be a, cho a chance that you're going to rearrange your time here. Maybe it's, you know, 2 to 5. But we're inviting you into a di digital detox to experience this, to take one, st to one step towards this, that you might begin to let your heart choose this and begin to let God speak into this. But a digital detox to step away from your phone, to step away from your watch, especially if it's smart, um, to turn off the TV, to, um, to maybe read a psalm, one of the verses today, to listen to where God is in your life and what he's saying, to look those around you in the eyes and to listen to what they're saying, to find that space where nothing is encroaching, to, to detox from that. However that works for you, I do understand there is a volleyball game. However that works for you, I invite you to, to dive into that, to try that. Maybe even record some experiences as you go through it to share. But this is our hope. We believe that this leads to joy. And joy is fun, isn't it? It's a great way to sail into this uh, final quarter of our year where things get really busy and we work really hard. Let's go into prayer together that this might be something that happens in our lives. And we're going to join in the Lord's Prayer towards the end that, um, that we might actually embrace this that God said is in heaven that it might truly be for us here on earth. Let's pray. God, um, we thank you. We thank you for your lesson and your reminder of the deep value of rest and what it does and how much you love us and want to see that through this simple gift that you've given us. Uh, God, I confess and I invite others as we pray today to confess that we have rushed, we have worked, we have made it perhaps even an idol. Let it be what defines us. And we just want to lift that up to you today and let you hold that, that we might be free from it and that we might be able to move forward in a different and new direction or to reclaim a direction we once had of learning your rhythm of rest. So God, we come to you, we pray that you will bless it, help us, have wisdom, surround us with those who are pursuing the same things that we might strengthen each other and let us find strength in that joy that as we taste it, we become stronger in it. And Lord, as we pause, 
as we embrace this, we pray this prayer as you've taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We want to thank you for joining us. It's Labor Day weekend. We do hope that this weekend is a, is a weekend that provides you with rest and, and that you are able to go back into next week recuperated and, and rested, not just uh, physically, but also in your relationship with God. So as you uh, head out this week, keep, please keep those things in mind as you prioritize, as you create, as you do all these things that Jason talked about. I do want to invite you to take today a, uh, a, a yard sign and place it in your yard. Uh, there are people in your neighborhood that are looking for maybe a place to worship. There are people in your neighborhood that don't know that they're doing that yet and that we just want you to uh, use this opportunity to, to do the easiest invite that you could to the water's edge by just placing one of these in your front yard. Uh, you can get one on your way out or you can take one right now. Do you want this one? All right. <laughs> Uh, you can take what, that one from me, or you can get one on your way out the doors. Thanks for being here today. We will see you all here next week at the Water's Edge as we start our new series, Dynamic Duos.